you're in charge of you. And that sounds so, so simple. That sounds like oversimplified, but like it's your job to be in control of yourself and to make choices for your own life. And that means like sometimes you're going to have to do things that aren't comfortable or be willing to fail. And when you're in like that place of of being a little bit paralyzed, like knowing that, but this is your one life. Hey everyone, Emily Abadi here. You are listening to episode 170 of Hurdle, a wellness-focused podcast where I sit down with inspiring individuals to talk about big wins, tough moments, and everything in between. On the show, you can expect vulnerability, motivation, and candid discussions with everyone from top athletes and CEOs to aspiring entrepreneurs on what it really takes to follow your passions. My mission is simple, to inspire you to be your best self, move with intention, and have some fun along the way. Today, I am chatting with Peloton instructor Aditi Shaw. I really, really loved this conversation. It was one I looked forward to for a long time, and we had a lot of laughs during it. In today's episode, she talks about how yoga and meditation were a part of her life from a young age and how it wasn't until after college in New Jersey when she moved back to India to be with her family and started to really adopt a regular practice for herself. Aditi eventually moved back to New York to do a lot of odd jobs from modeling and acting to so many others, which we get into, while pursuing her yoga teacher training. She talks about working at her first yoga studio and a lot of the lessons that brought her to where she is today teaching on a world stage with Peloton. She gives a ton of advice to anyone else who may want to move to a big city, as well as for those who are interested in adopting their own meditation and yoga practice. She talks about the DM that changed everything for her and how she's fared during the pandemic, giving us an update on how her parents and family are doing over in India. She also shares some of her favorite meditations from the Peloton app to date so that you can go ahead and check them out. Again, loved this conversation. So grateful for Aditi and her openness. And something else I really valued from this conversation was Aditi shedding light on the yoga practice as a whole, that it is just so much bigger than solely the physical and that each and every one of us can choose to approach it in a different way. Before we get into the swing of things today, I do want to take a moment to thank my sponsor at Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens is an all-in-one daily supplement that's got the antioxidant equivalent of 12 servings of fruits and vegetables. It's also got prebiotics, probiotics, adaptogens, and superfoods. It's got everything that I need in one scoop to start off my day in the right direction. Plus, I get a lot of questions about the taste. It doesn't taste grassy at all. I know a lot of us, when it comes to thinking green juices, green beverages, that awkward, no thank you grass taste, this has got nothing of that. It's got the ideal hint of sweetness, a refreshing way to get in 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients that help me feel my best. Of course, I have an awesome deal for you. Head on over to athleticgreens.com slash hurdle to get a free year's supply of vitamin D as well as five free travel packs with your first purchase. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash hurdle. Head on over there to get a year's supply of vitamin D as well as five free travel packs, absolutely free with your first purchase. 
Make sure you're following along with Hurdle over on social media. It's over at Hurdle Podcast. I am over at Emily Abadi. With that, let's get to hurdling. Today, I'm sitting down with Aditi Shaw. She is a Peloton instructor. I have the good fortune of actually looking at her while we have this conversation. And I'm a need to know your skincare routine, like ASAP. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's that's really kind. But what what's the secret? It's not that exciting. We can, we can jump in with skincare. I'm fine with that. Drink a lot of water get sleep. I'm really a big, I really believe in like inside out beauty. Like I think for me and most people, what you eat is going to affect your skin. But a couple other things that I do, they're, they're not, nothing groundbreaking. Always take your makeup off at the end of the day. Like always take your makeup off. If you're sweating, definitely take your makeup off. I don't do makeup wipes. I actually like wash my face. Um, and, um, so yeah. So at the end of the day, I like, take all my makeup off and moisturize. And then in the morning, I actually don't wash my face again because I like washed my face and woke up. Um, I started to rinse with water and I moisturize again. Um, Yeah, I've actually just started experimenting with vitamin C. But other than that, you know, I really think it's so much of my skin is about, um, is about, yeah, taking care of it like by by taking care of myself, you know, like I've never had better skin than when I've had a great night's sleep. <laughs> totally. And I mean, I'm sure that your practice also helps your skin because I know that stress can yeah. be such a game changer when it comes to what's going on on our foreheads and our cheeks and our noses and everything. So on top of what you're putting into your body, which is very mindful, you're also just a mindful person, which makes you glow. <laughs> Yes. I mean, I definitely think that stress is a huge part of it and taking time to, but you know, for like any, any practice, any, even for so many people, I think movement is an opportunity to be mindful and to like get out of the, you know, the mental stress of every day. Like I feel like, especially living in the city, everything is always go, go, go. And like, even if you're like going for a run, like that can feel amazing. That can feel like your moment of self-care. And so I think doing those things for yourself is a big part of for sure. I guess, skincare, self-care, skincare, self-care as Tunde would say, soul care, all of it, all of it's super, super important. So today, obviously a yogi, a meditation leader, a guru of sorts for so many in the Peloton community and beyond growing up in New Jersey. I know that yoga was a part of your upbringing, maybe not as much as it is these days. So talk to me a little bit about that. Talk to me about what it was like for you growing up in New Jersey. So I grew up in like suburbia, which was so nice, honestly. And my parents, I'm a first generation uh, Indian American. My parents grew up in India. And so they would sometimes have yoga instructors or like other people come to our house and like like I actually they tried to get me to learn Bharatanatyam which is like an Indian classical dance which did not work out but we had like people come over to our house once in a while and I would say like in India until recently that is one of the ways that a lot of people practice is like you would you would do it in a more personal setting necessarily than a studio I think studios are sort of a newer thing so we'd have someone yeah come over and do yoga and I didn't really know what that was. Um, I should say practice yoga because you don't really do it, but you know, I didn't really know what that was. And the kind of yoga that we were practicing 
is different than what you know I teach right now or in a lot of us have experienced. So it was really slow. There was a lot of breathing. And I was a kid that was not, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. Like I was just like outside all the time, barefoot climbing trees. I played soccer. I was running. I was just like, not okay. I didn't know how to slow down. So, um, even though I was exposed to yoga and meditation, honestly, growing up. So one of the things that my dad always tried to get me to do when I was a kid was like to slow down and relax. Like I really wasn't good at that. Um, and so he did try to teach me how to meditate. And I learned from these sadhvis, um, who are kind of like spiritual leaders, um, a little bit about meditation, but I really struggled with it. You know, I was, I was just couldn't find a way to get my mind to slow down. And the kind of meditation that they were teaching in particular didn't work for me, especially like as a young teen, it just wasn't happening. And so I kind of didn't, didn't pursue it until I got older. I played sports growing up. I played soccer. I was obsessive about soccer. I ran track and I really loved that. I did like a million things like everyone does growing up. And I didn't really know that I had like no clue that yoga was going to be a part of my life until I got to college. And I sort of just started like thinking about it a little bit. Like I was like, well, I'm not doing these other things anymore. So I went to Rutgers. I didn't play soccer and I didn't run track for Rutgers. And I was like, maybe this is something that could be interesting. And I started just sort of looking into it. I went to some studios. I did what I think a lot of people probably did at the time. Like, um, I went down the internet, like black hole of like searching for yoga, random, like yoga things that were on the internet. I found like Rodney DVDs. I found David Swenson, who is a really famous Ashtangi. Um, so I, I was exposed to Ashtanga yoga. And then after college, I ended up moving to India. And that's where I really took like a deep dive into my yoga practice. And your parents were in India. Yeah. So my parents moved here from these like little villages in India, which is they have like such an incredible story. But they retired while I was um, finishing high school and moved back to India where they live now in Bangalore. And, and so after college, yeah, that's why I, that was part of why I went to India, but they live there now. And you majored in math in college. So were you just like, look at me in my research. So you knew graduating that you were like, I don't really know if I want to do anything with this. Truly. Like I went to college starting wanting to major in genetics and microbiology and then I encountered a chemistry class and was like, no, I can't do this. Like, I'm out. I'm not interested in chemistry. I do not want to take organic chemistry. I will switch my major to avoid this class. Um, and I really, I will say, like, I do really enjoy math. Like, I enjoyed math. I think it's really interesting. Like, once you get beyond, you know, calculus, it's like, it's very, it can be very abstract. It's like a lot about, like, stretching your brain, you know, in different ways. And so I really enjoyed math. But I think, at the time, I didn't learn about who I was. You know, I was like, okay, my parents, my dad, you know, works in finance. Like my mom, my mom's a computer programmer, like a software programmer. Like, okay, I will follow what my dad did, you know? And I got an internship at an investment bank and was like, this is the thing I'm doing now. And I studied math. And I didn't take into account that like, I was that kid who was barefoot and climbing trees and like, did not want to be in an office, like being an investment banker. Um, so I sort of had like a little, you know, very early, not midlife, but really early life crisis after school when I was like, what am I doing? Like, what do I do with this degree? I don't have any like practical skills. I studied math, which is 
also like really abstract, like what am I going to do? And I don't want to work at an investment bank and I don't want to program like software. Um, and that's when I ended up moving to India because I didn't have a home anymore in the U.S. My parents sold our house. I was like, let me take a break and go home. And for sure, you know, that's where these practices sort of helped me a lot. I didn't have anything to do. I, I learned how to cook. I had learned growing up, but I spent a lot of time like learning how to cook and practicing all of the time because that's what I had that felt good in this moment of like really sort of, you know, anxiety. Like it's, it's definitely tough to be in a position where you're like, I'm not sure what to do. And I think it took me a long time to learn that you can reinvent yourself as many times as you want and that you're not your job. And, you know, just because you studied math doesn't mean you can't completely do something different um, and and just continue to evolve like your entire life. That's totally possible. But I think, at, you know, it takes a while to understand that it takes it takes a little bit of courage and a little bit of experimenting and exploring and being willing to to fail. So it took it took that time in India for me to be willing to try something new. Before going to India, did you think to yourself, well, I could like get an apartment and figure things out here? Or were you like, no, I should just, I should just go there. No, I did. I did. Um, I was like, maybe I'll want to work in like nonprofit world. Like maybe that's something I'd be interested in. So I started looking into different opportunities and, um, I didn't get my own apartment, but I had a cousin who lived in Somerset, which was like not too far away from where I was already Rutgers. So I stayed with him for a little while and I sort of started thinking about it, but there was just nothing that clicked, right? Nothing that was exciting enough to me, nothing that I was like, oh, this is the solution. And what I was really looking for was a solution because up until I think you graduate college, it doesn't feel like real life. Like in a way, like, yeah, college is definitely a little bit of like a, you know, baby steps into real life because it's not you don't have like a schedule that someone's handing to you. But at the same time, you feel so protected. Like you're like in class, someone's teaching you, someone's guiding you, holding space for you. And um, I think after that, I was like, wait, okay, I'm here. I'm, this is real life. Like, and whatever I do, like in my mind at the time, it was like, whatever I do, like, this is going to be my entire life, you know? So I, I better figure it out. And then I had, what's I called like decision fatigue. Like I just couldn't, I couldn't decide. I was just like, there's so many things. I'm not sure. I didn't study this. And I think there was also a lot of imposter syndrome is a long, wrong word, but like feeling that I didn't have enough to offer because I studied math. I studied math and Spanish, <laughs> and then I didn't want to do anything <laughs> related to those, those two topics. So I had this feeling of like, you know, who am I to just try starting this new thing? Now, obviously I have learned that to be honest, most people are, are faking it until they make it. And like so much of it is about like figuring out, figuring it out as you go. But um, at the time I was just like, paralyzed. Yeah, no, I totally relate. And reflecting back on your experience and why you chose to go into math, you idolized your parents. I mean, they were someone, they were two individuals that you looked up to. So it was natural for you to follow that kind of path, but it does sometimes take these experiences and this reflection and to go through that moment to get to a point where you're like, you know what, maybe this wasn't for me. And now although it may have not been the conventional path to get to where you are, all of the things that you did, including that major in mathematics and Spanish, that contributed to where you are today. And sometimes I think when you're in that, um, and you were saying like imposter syndrome, but when you're in this place where you're like, shoot, like, what did I do? Who am I? Like, we get caught up in that, right? We get caught up in this feeling of like, wow, did I miss up? What am I supposed to do? But like being caught up in that doesn't serve you. 
Absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. And I think what's so important is to like think about it's true that like whatever you're going through, your reality is your reality. Like you're not imagining it. And it's I, as especially as a meditation teacher, I think it's so important to not like reject or push down any part of what we're feeling and to like welcome in that diversity of experience. But I also think that like, especially when it comes to careers, because for most most people, you know, your career is a huge part of your life. I think it can be helpful to recognize that your work is not always about your work. You know, it can be a vehicle for growth and it doesn't have to be your identity. Like you are a person that's not your career. You're not your job. Um, and so if you make your personal growth first, then everything grows and you can sort of move around these rules of like the, the you know, career path that maybe I thought I needed to have growing up or how things should be. Um, I also think, you know, just knowing that it's a lot of responsibility, but like you're in charge of you. And that sounds so, so simple. That sounds like oversimplified, but like it's your job to be in control of yourself and to make choices for your own life. And that means like sometimes you're going to have to do things that aren't comfortable or be willing to fail. And when you're in like that place of, of being a little bit paralyzed, like knowing that, but this is your one life, you know, you're going to have to take a risk or like move to India and figure it out. And that's fine. You're going to have to move to India and figure it out. And I mean, even us just having this conversation and, and putting this, your experience into the world and listening to others who have had similar struggles. It's a reminder that you're not the only person that's like, shoot, what the hell am I doing right now? Absolutely. I think every one of us has felt that. And I think that it's something, and I, you know, what I love about hurdle podcasts and like this idea, it's like, it's not something that's going to happen once it's going to happen again and again, you're not going to figure it out. And then you're like, well, I'm figured it, I figured it out for life. Like that's not how it works. Like it's just going to keep happening. So we might as well get a little bit more comfortable with it. (laughs) Get get comfortable with the fact that the hurdles are just going to keep on coming and you're going to trip over most of them. And then maybe every so often you'll have the one that like you totally clear and it just feels so good. I think those are things that should be celebrated. You know, like we might think of it as failure, but like if you never made a mistake, if you never tripped over a hurdle, it means you never tried. And if you never tried, you never took a chance like on yourself. You never believed in yourself. You didn't have that faith. And so I feel like it's like totally fine to trip over the hurdle. And it just matters that you like keep going so that you can clear the hurdle when you're, when it's like the right moment and you're ready. You moved to India. Talk to me. And I'm assuming before this point, you had been there before. Yes. So I grew up visiting India really often. It, you know, and I love India. I would consider moving back to India. Like it's, it feels really like a home to me. So I had grown up visiting often, but I'd never lived there. My parents moved to Bangalore, which is not actually where my family is from, but they moved there for a whole bunch of other reasons, which is great, but not where I wanted to live either. And I grew up actually, aside from sports, also performing. I grew up playing the violin, singing and acting. And so I actually like tried to convince my parents to let me go to drama school. And they were like, no, you have to go to college. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> um, but after I graduated and I was in India and trying to figure it out, my mom was like, you know, like you could just do whatever you want. Like, well, you know, like you should, now is the time to pursue whatever you want to. And so I um, sort of revisited that. And uh, I moved to Bombay by myself, which was crazy and really challenging and really, really fun. And I started a career in, in entertainment. And for many years, my like number one job, full-time job was being a model and um, acting. 
until I moved back to New York. Did you feel fulfilled by doing that? I loved it. I really loved it. But I think it was like one of those things where I was like, this is what I just knew from like when I was really young, I knew I wanted to perform. And I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't able to identify until I was an adult why I wanted to, why I like being on camera, why I wanted to perform. Now I can look back and say, I think I'm a storyteller. I like connecting with people. Performance is an opportunity to share humanity. It's not like, you know, but as a model in particular, I felt like there was something more that I wanted. I wanted to tell more stories and connect more. And it wasn't as three-dimensional as I would like for it to be. And I was living in India, but I was thinking like, what if I don't want to live in India forever? You know, like my dreams growing up took place in the US. Like I didn't think even though I love India, like I didn't think of myself as a person that was going to be performing in Bollywood or a, I just didn't see that for myself. So I was like, maybe I shouldn't stay. I'm not sure. And I had this plan. I had a two-year plan to like make a bunch of money. And um, in the meantime, I was going to get my yoga certification because I always thought that I would retire and open a yoga studio or I'd open a yoga studio on the side. So I was like, I'm going to get my yoga certification. I'm going to go. I've gotten to Stella Adler. So I was like, I'm going to do that. And then I'm going to keep working. So I have enough money to like then quit and move, do something else. Wait, for those that don't know, what's Stella Adler? Uh, it is an acting school in the U.S. And actually, so many of my colleagues have also been to Stella Adler, which is so funny. <laughs> so I came to New York one summer with like literally nothing. Like I had like half a suitcase of clothes to go to Stella Adler. I decided to just do my teacher training at the same time, like the same um, around the same time right afterwards. And during teacher training, something just hit me. And I was like, oh, my God, like. I could go back to India and go back to modeling and get stuck there and never leave. Like I haven't been happy for like a year and I'm still doing this and I'm going to go back and do it for two more years. <laughs> I was like, why, why? And so right there and then I just decided not to go back, which was thank God for my parents who like helped me. You know, I had moved, I put everything in boxes, but they had to like sell my car and like get my stuff. Um, I moved to New York and I decided that I was still like acting. I have an agency, et cetera. But like, I was like, I think I am going to maybe get more curious about yoga because I had such an important sort of epiphany during this training. And I want to get closer to myself and I want to feel inside out strong. And that's how I was feeling from this. Um, and I had already like obviously known that yoga was so important. It was like an important practice in my life. It was something I'd been doing. I just didn't know I wanted to teach it, right? I was like, maybe I'll start a studio or something. But I was like, I think I need to get more curious about this. So I went to like a bunch of studios. I found one that I liked. I applied for a job there. That job got filled. I went to the front desk. I was like, how can I work here? And they were like, well, maybe you could do like the mentorship program. That's like a place where a lot of people start. So I was like, okay, I found a teacher I liked. I did the mentorship program. And I just, I remember like having lunch with the owner and he offered me like a small managerial position. And he was like, you know, what do you want to do? And I was like, oh, well, I want to open my own studio. Like I'm not here to like teach. And then like, obviously as I got to, got like more involved in yoga world and living in New York city, which I hadn't done before, I realized that I would never want to open a yoga studio in New York for sure. And 
in mentorship, you have to teach. Like that was one of the things you had to do was teach. And I started realizing like, I did like it. Like I had already been doing it on my own, but just with my friends and I did enjoy it. And so I was like, maybe I'll, I'll just do this and we'll see how it goes. And I, I think one really incredible thing about yoga is like, or, you know, most movement practices, it's such a lifelong practice. Like you keep learning. It's not like, oh, I did my, I did my 200 hour. I'm good. Like, no, it's like ongoing. And so I just threw myself into it to be really honest. And I think that's probably the only way I was in New York living on my savings with nothing. So, so I, I threw myself into it and it worked out. <laughs> I think a lot of people hear your story of moving to New York with like a half a suitcase of clothes and living on their savings. And like, I think about doing this all the time. Do you have any practical advice for someone who wants to come here and either chase a dream or just be here? I mean, as you know, as a New Yorker, like the aura here is just, it's special. It's incredible. And I love it. I love that it is. I think it's a place where we're all really willing to save ourselves. You know, like it's like nobody's going to come save you. You have to like do that for yourself. And I think this is that is like the energy of New York, if you ask me. Um, I think there's a few practical tips, which is, you know, when you sign up for a goal or dream, what you're really signing up for is the inconvenience that it's going to cost you to get there. You're not just signing up for like, the, the light at the end of the tunnel, like you have to go through the whole tunnel and, and that's great. And, and you should make sure that that's something you're going to enjoy, or at least not totally hate, like there's going to be ups and downs, of course, but like, you're going to have to do that. So there's that is like, just like really acknowledging the truth of that. And then when you move to a place like New York, where there's so many people, it's a huge network. It seems really competitive. You're like, where is my place here? I would really advocate for like meeting people, you know, especially in like yoga and other movement practices, you're going to meet so many people, meet people and don't meet them in a way that's networking. Don't meet them in a way that's competition that makes you feel like, oh, well, this person's doing this. Like I, I want to do that. But like you want to think about it in a way, or I want to think about it in a way that feels like, how can I be of service to this person? There's space for all of us. How can I help this person grow? And how can we communally create a space that feels like we can all like achieve our wildest dreams as opposed to a place that feels like really coming from a scarcity mindset, right? Like if you get there, that means I can't. Like that's not the way I think I thought about it. And I don't know if that, I don't know if that like ultimately is the reason that I feel like I made it work, but I would say, I think it's a good place to start for anybody that's that's having that sort of, uh, you know, thinking about making a big life change. Yeah, for sure. And just having that openness, right? Like just because you think things might be a certain way doesn't mean that's how they are. And I think oftentimes we, especially if someone is interested in making a similar move that you did or also that I have done, it's, we have a lot of thoughts about how it could be and it could be scary and it could be overwhelming. And like, how am I going to make this work? But be open to what's actually happening in your life instead of just the stories that you're telling about telling yourself about what's going on. Yeah, that's such a big part of it too. I think, you know, it's like, I think about how meditation and mindfulness and yoga like are a part of of these transitions. And when I think about like, okay, let's say like you, you want to do something that makes you feel more free, which I think is a really, I think it's actually happening right now. There's like, I read a, a headline about how so many people are quitting their jobs, right? Because we all want to be able to do something that makes us feel like our, our whole selves and not like we're just like slaves to our work. And that's amazing. But also like freedom includes like when you think about 
the way that you are interacting with yourself, like not being dragged around by every little thought you have or every little emotion you have. And I don't by any means mean that you shouldn't pay attention to them. Again, like I think it's so important to to be open to that diversity of feeling, but to also be able to look at it and then decide whether it's real or not real, decide whether you need to pay attention to it or not pay attention to it, um, decide whether it's like... It, recurring or a one-time feeling, whether, like you just said, it's a story that you're telling yourself or if it's reality. So I think that a really big part of like making these transitions is knowing that like, yeah, it's going to be inconvenient. It's going to be uncomfortable. And then being open to dealing with that, not just, uh, in the way that it manifests like physically in your life, like, okay, I need to pay my rent, but also like in the way it manifests mentally, you know? Yeah. And also something you said before that I I chuckled at a little bit was you very quickly were like, I do not want to open a yoga studio in New York. <laughs> no. What helped you come to that realization? Um, I think I realized, so I would say the reason that I at first thought I don't want to teach yoga is because I was, I was like, I want to keep this practice to myself. I love this practice. I need this. I don't want it to become work. I was, I was a little scared of that, you know, and I never considered it to be honest. Like I it wasn't a job I was considering. I was a math major. So it was like, for me, I was like, why would I take this practice that I love and then make it work? And I think when it comes to a studio, it's actually like a, it's more like that. It's like, once you have a studio, it's a business and your obligation then might be like, I don't know. I'm not a studio owner. And I think people who open studios, you know, are incredible. But for me, I want to be able to focus 100% on teaching and practicing. And um, that's what I want to focus on. I don't want to focus on having to create a business around that. And I can't imagine the the decisions I would have to make in order to make a, a business fruitful. I want to be able to treat yoga as as special and a practice that doesn't, like, of course, I've, it is my work, but that doesn't. I'm not making decisions about what I'm teaching because it's a studio that I own. Like, I feel like that's really, it's a really tough, it's a tough, um, tough job. Yeah, for sure. For sure. No, I totally hear you. And the word gift comes to mind. It's like, you have the opportunity to like embrace this as the gift that it is and share that gift now with other people. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I want to just like add, like I, thank God we have yoga studios. Like I love yoga studios and I don't mean it like that. I just think for me personally, it would have been a hard thing to do. I think it's a really tough line to walk. Yeah, for sure. So you, you go through the mentorship program and then what happens for you in your journey after that? I was hired right out of the mentorship program at the studio I was at and I had like, you know, gotten some privates and, but at the same time, I was really adamant about not teaching like 20 classes a week, which is, I think what happens to a lot of new teachers, you know, you need to make ends meet classes. Don't pay that much. And, um, I wanted to make sure I had space for my own practice, like no matter what. So I had a series of other jobs, (laughs) like part-time jobs. I was modeling at first and I really wanted to like, I wanted to stop modeling. So I, I was eventually able to leave my modeling agency and I had a series of jobs in startups and marketing and just like all kinds of other stuff. I took on like managerial positions at the studio and I did other things so that I would be able to have my own practice. And I taught maybe five, six classes a week. So not a lot, 
Um, I was also really committed and I still am really committed to learning. I think it's actually one of the, the gifts of, of yoga is like, there's endless amounts of learning right now. I'm like really, really interested in philosophy. But when I, um, I would say out of the mentorship program, I did a whole series of other trainings. I did a lot of trainings and I practiced a lot. You're teaching from your practice at the end of the day. Like you can't teach, it's hard to teach things that you haven't experienced or you haven't, um, you don't have like a, an, in your body, in your heart experience to teach from. So everything that, you know, I share comes from something I've explored. And so I spent a lot of time doing that teaching and practicing some other job. You know? <laughs> do you, do you want to give us insight into the oddest job that you had? Oddest job. I'm waiting for you to tell me, I don't know. I like can't, of course, like when you want to pull one out of the back pocket, you like don't have something to throw into the mix, but I want you to tell me that you like worked at a subway sandwich shop or something. Oh my God. I didn't do that, but I do have a really odd acting gig that I had, which was really, and everybody, this is like public for everyone to see. So you're welcome for this. Uh, I was on the show elementary for like a one day co-star on like two lines, but in this show, it's like, you know, it's like a Sherlock Holmes show. So it's like a mystery. It's like, you know, they're solving a mystery, a case or something. And in this show, I was painted, it was me and this one other girl. Okay. So I was painted head to toe to match the wall. So like you could almost not see us. Like what, if you just walked on the set, it was like, you just match the wall and then you could like pop out and be a person. It was, it was a very interesting experience. That was a definitely an, I think it counts in the category of odd jobs. So this is exactly what I'm going to be Googling when <laughs> we get off of this, when we get off of sure. this recording. But yeah, you'll definitely find it. It's definitely a, it was, it was really fun though. It was fun and funny and like an experience. Amazing. So you have all of these quote unquote side jobs and you're practicing and you're making time for your practice. Give me, if you can, a timeline as to maybe where we are at this point in your story. <laughs> Probably like 2000, like, you know, 14, 13, 14 was like when I was like, you know, really, really committed to my career and in, in the midst of like, okay, practicing all the time. Like I, there was a teacher whose class I would go to for like three hours every Wednesday, you know, it was like very, I was like very committed to it. And it was a lot of the same for the first couple of years. There's not a lot of like, it was just a lot of the same. It was a lot of like teaching and practicing, um, which might sound boring, but it is what, it's what it is. Uh, I did do like, I did have some other things that I got interested in, you know, I was interested in bringing, it's so funny. I was interested in bringing yoga to corporate world, like to people who maybe don't come to yoga studios. So a friend and I started working on that. Um, we had a little business and I did that for a little while. Um, that actually led to some really me meeting some really cool people. And actually I taught yoga at Times Square. That was a really big like moment for me every year. They have the solstice at Times Square, which is like a huge yoga event with like thousands of people. And I got to teach a class live for that. And so I think like every little thing I've done has really led to what the next steps. Um, and then I got really into meditation and uh, had some really cool meditation teachers. And I was like, I kind of want to do more meditation, but my yoga studio, there weren't a lot of meditation opportunities. So I started doing this meditation pop-up with a friend of mine. We called it Mindful Morning and we would have like a meditation and a conversation and brunch. Um, and I got to meet more cool people doing that. So it was really like I stuck with that basic part of like teaching and practicing. And then, um, I explored, I experimented and, you know, 
corporate yoga ended up not working out and that's okay. Like, I feel like mindful morning, like I was doing that and then my friend ended up moving to Paris who I was doing it with. So like, I feel like a lot of things, like it's, it's fine to like explore them and, and they have a time in your timeline. They have like a moment and they don't have to be forever. I think sometimes it can be hard for us to let things go, but I feel like it's like what you said, you know, every, every step really contributed to where I am today. Taking a break from today's episode to bring you a word from one of my new sponsors. Everyone, welcome Inside Tracker to Hurdle. Now, when you do what you love, like running or racing or just enjoying the great outdoors, you want to do it for life, right? Well, Inside Tracker can help. Inside Tracker was founded in 2009 by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics. Using their patented algorithm, Inside Tracker analyzes your body's data to provide you with a clear picture of what's going on inside of you and to offer you science-backed recommendations for positive diet and lifestyle changes. It has been so, so helpful for me. I had been feeling, to be honest, just super sluggish on my runs. And after doing Inside Tracker, including a mobile blood draw and a DNA swab, I was able to pair that information with the insights from my fitness wearables to learn more about what was really going on with me and my body. I myself had lower levels of iron and ferritin within my blood work. And so we were able to take a look at everything that was going on holistically and make some important modifications so that I could better go after my current health and wellness goals, which involves at the moment, feeling great to show up to the marathon starting lines in both London and New York. Inside Tracker tracks your progress every day, every step of the way toward reaching your performance goals and living a longer, healthier life. For a limited time, you can get 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Talk about an awesome deal. Just head on over to insidetracker.com slash hurdle. That's I-N-S-I-D-E-T-R-A-C-K-E-R.com slash hurdle to get 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store today. No code necessary. Again, insidetracker.com slash hurdle. I love as you explain all the different things that you kind of dabbled in as you really got uh, immersed in the yoga community here in New York. You certainly to an extent became an entrepreneur, right? Even though you knew very well that you didn't want to open a yoga studio, that didn't mean that you didn't have interests. And how can I expand this practice and try new things and, and bring it to others? Even going back to the idea you were saying earlier about how passionate you were about having the ability to help others through this practice. Yeah. I mean, I think yoga in general, it is a, it is a service. It is like a service oriented industry. Like nobody is becoming a yoga teacher for any other reason, I imagine. And I love that. And I think that's so important. I, I would say like, if I had to say one thing about myself that maybe is a little bit different than others. And I think about this with my partner sometimes because he like has to put up with this is I think that I'm a person that's always, that's constantly going to evolve. Like I'm not going to ever be like, this is it. I'm here. I've arrived. Like, I feel like I'm always going to be like, but what about this? Let me try this. Like, I'm curious about this. Like, let's explore this. And I feel like that is something I've had to get comfortable with myself. And like I said, like, you know, with a partner, it's also like making sure they're comfortable with that. But I feel like it, it served me well. Like I did get to experience 
explore and meet new people and learn new things. Being an entrepreneur is a whole skill set, obviously, that I learned a lot from. Um, just like I just jumped in without really knowing what I was doing. And that was good. It was great. I learned a lot. Um, but yeah, all of those little pieces really helped me to find different parts of myself. So then when does Peloton come into the equation? So I am running teacher training at a studio and doing these other things, mindful morning and teaching and practicing and having another job. And uh, I get a, I get a DM from Dennis Morton and he, he was like, Hey, like, would you be interested? Like Peloton's thinking about, you know, starting a yoga, like starting yoga. Um, and I remember at the time I had, I had just done like a couple months ago, a different audition for a different, um, digital brand that ended up just like being a total mess. Like it, it was very disorganized. And I was a little bit like, I mean, Tony is my partner. Tony's mom has been obsessed with Peloton for years. I'm like, sounds really interesting, you know, but like, I'm not sure, but what, like they don't have yoga, you know, I was like, is this going to be a thing? that they're trying and then I give it my whole life and then it goes away. Like I'm, I was really unsure. Um, and I remember walking down the street. I walked to the audition cause I lived like 20 minutes and I was like, maybe this, it'll be nice. You know, I'll walk. Um, I remember what I wore. I remember walking to the audition thankfully. And I would say like, I really think it's such a perfect, like it was such a perfect requirement of my skill set, like being on camera and teaching was something like, I was like, oh, I know how to do both of those things. Cool. I taught two, I don't remember there were five or 10 minute classes, like little, just the snippets of class. And that was it. That was the, the audition. And I was like, I mean, who knows? And I remember that entire summer, um, I was like really unsure of what was going to happen. Because there were also so many meetings and interviews, I was a little bit like, when will I find out though? <laughs> like, it's been a long time. Yeah. Like, um, and I was in like a different like acting class. And I remember like talking to everyone. Everyone was like, are you going to do this in the fall? And I was like, I don't know. I'm not sure what's going to happen with my life at all in this moment. Like I'm kind of waiting. I have some more interviews next week. Like it was just this sort of like ongoing process, but you know, eventually, eventually I was given an offer and it was really exciting because being at the beginning of something is so cool. Like it's so funny because the year that year, I think I had gone to mind body green has that like what's it called? I can't remember. They have that like three day weekend. And I had gone to that with a friend of mine and we were driving in and she was like, what are you hoping like to get from this? Is there a transformation? Is there something that you are looking for in the next year? And I was like, you know, I'm here to be here. But if I had to say something that I want, it's like, I think I want a bigger platform. Like I'm ready for, for a bigger platform and to reach new and different, more people, especially with more like meditation and other offerings. And then it just so happened that like I got this DM from Peloton. So that was really, really uh, like perfect. It was amazing. And to be at the beginning of something is an opportunity to really shape it, obviously. And to work with this incredible team was a gift. Two things to double click on. The first thing is I've had the opportunity to talk to so many of you, whether it be for Hurdle or for the writing that I do at this point. And it 
cracks me up because I think the only person that was like a hundred percent all in zero hesitation right from the very get go was Robin. I remember like Jess had like a hesitate, like everyone has been like, is this the thing for me? Like, is this going to be the right move? Because it comes with like so much, again, huge platform, huge responsibility, so much unknown, so much to be scared about. And now all of you who have may ha- who may have had that hesitation up front look back on this amazing experience and you're like wow what a gift absolutely and i think it's like i would say specifically for me and i find this in other parts of my life too like it's helpful to be able to look at something and say this is what it is like you want to do x like well that's what it looks like and with peloton i was like i have no idea what this looks like yoga does not exist and like I just don't know, like, is this going to be, and thankfully, you know, we did have such an opportunity to be a part of creating the program, but it, that, I think that was a big, for me personally, that was a big sort of like a big question mark. And yeah. now when I think about it, like it's, it's, I've evolved so much because of this job and I really like welcome that. I love it. But I think now when I think about it, I'm like a question mark is amazing. Cause that means you can make it what you want to make it. You don't have to like follow, you know, something that's already existing. It's awesome to have a big question mark. But at the time I was like, I'm not sure what that means. Yeah. The other thing you said, I'm ready for a bigger platform. And then you followed that up by saying, I want to be able to help more people. And I think that is what's really special about you and special about the right people who follow find an avenue to have the bigger platform because it's not necessarily like I want the bigger platform. It's the latter. It's I want to be able to help more people. And how can I help more people? It's okay. Well, maybe if I have a bigger bigger platform. So to have your focus and your intention rooted in so much goodness in helping others, it's not like for necessarily like you're not determining your self-worth by your platform. You're not trying to like abuse a bigger platform. It's like, well, this is the thing that's going to empower me to like do more good in this world. So that's why I want it. I also think, you know, when I think about all of the instructors who are, I I mean, I'm, I'm constantly inspired by my teammates. Um, They're incredible, but this is such a service job, right? Like we are all here in a different ways, empowering, lifting up, helping others. And when I see my colleagues doing this, like when they're like listening to what they have to say, like putting themselves out there, it just feels like this act, not just of service, but of generosity. Like how generous is it to be vulnerable? How generous is it to say like, this is my experience of being human. And I'm going to share that with you, even though it might feel scary or it might like, I think people don't always see the other side of it, but it might not feel that easy, but I, in, you know, I want to uplift you. And I know that by doing this, I'm going to be able to do that. And so I feel like I'm just so always like constantly like amazed by, by this team. I think the word generous is actually like hitting the nail on the head because what's not often talked about, I mean, yes, it's a job, but this specific, very unique job comes with a very specific, unique set of things that need to be taken into consideration to execute. Not only are you on a schedule, like many people with a regular job, but you're on a schedule that doesn't really flex a lot. So that means that other things in your life are going to have to be either perhaps put on hold or shifted or moved in a certain way to make sure that you can accommodate for the members of Peloton. But also on top of that, the exposure and the being in service on purpose to these individuals, having hundreds of thousands of humans that are like, they have questions and they want help. And I have like 
25,000 people that want my help, not all at the same time, but sometimes I'm like, oh my God, what the hell am I doing here? And that is like a drop in the bucket compared to all of the amazing people that you're helping every day that might at one point or another just want to have their question answered or want an extra little bit of oomph from you. So to be in that kind of service is again, that word generous, I think is, it really sums it up. Well, I want to just say also, I, you know, this podcast, I am sure helps so many people. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, don't write yourself off. I think <laughs> it's really incredible. But yeah, I, I, I do feel like very much um, inspired by, by everyone that I get to work with. I love, I love this, like this optimistic and uh, beautiful view on the opportunity that comes hand in hand with what you do. So you've been at Peloton for a little bit of time now. What would you say uh, over the last couple of years has been perhaps one of the biggest takeaways from your time with the company? There have been so many. One, like never underestimate the impact that you're having. Like, and when I say I really mean impact because, you know, sometimes we have an intention, but the impact is about how something lands and that's really important. And I feel like sometimes we can, we don't recognize how much what we're saying and doing matters to others. So that's number one. I think like, I feel like not underestimating how much each, like literally every single one of us matters in our worlds. And then the other thing is to like, it's that goes back to that question mark, you know, be willing to make opportunities out of things that maybe you didn't know were opportunities or be willing to prove to yourself something you, you didn't even know that you wanted or, you, you know, like just, just like that openness, I think is so important. And, um, I feel so much at this with this job, it's been, it's been so important to make that transition, to see that, when there's a blank slate, it doesn't mean, cause I'm a person that really loves structure, right? I love, like, I really like my calendars planned for the rest of the week. Like I, I like structure. Even the practice that I do is very structured. Like that's just like how my brain works. So I think like having a blank slate could, could feel like a little, a little worrisome, but I think this job has allowed me to turn that into an opportunity to say, like, I get to decide what this blank slate turns into. Um, and that that's not a scary thing. Maybe it's scary, but actually, instead of being scared, I'd rather be curious. I'd rather be excited. I'd rather see this as an opportunity. So I think those are two big takeaways. Huge growth mindset woman you are. <laughs> I love that for you. When someone goes to your Instagram page, they see a Peloton instructor with 106,000 followers and growing. When you look in the mirror, what is it that you see looking back at you? That's such an interesting question. And I'll be honest and say that um, I think there are definitely time periods in my life where it was really hard to look in the mirror. And I think a lot of us, a lot of us feel this way, right? Like we look in the mirror and all that we see are flaws. And that's like, it's just like what life is so, um, for, or that's the wrong. Okay. I shouldn't say that. That's not what life is, but that's like sometimes how we're conditioned in our world. I think a lot of people have gone through that at some point or another. I love that vulnerability though. I'm just telling you like as an aside, because I do think that, um, and you know this because you interact with so many humans, like it's so easy for people to just assume like they come to your Instagram page, like you are a beautiful human. They're like, oh, she must, she must just like have this shit together all the time. And it's like, yo, I'm a human. Of course not. No, of course, of course. And I think that's like, that is 
what I love about teaching meditation. I, I love because meditation, I have more of an opportunity to like talk and sometimes the topics are a little bit more specific so I can like really get into something. And what I really think is so important and what I love about meditation practice is this opportunity to say like, I know that you have these feelings and these thoughts and I have them too. And that is what being human is. And that's totally normal. And you're allowed to forgive yourself for it. And you're allowed to feel them. And you're allowed to be totally crazy because we all are like, and I really think like that's such a huge, huge part of like why I personally love teaching um, meditation. It's like, and we, we sort of go through life. I think sometimes with this, like, like, you know, you zip up this like spacesuit is like one of, one of my teachers calls it like a spacesuit. It's a protective layer, you know, and when do you get to unzip it and be like, oh, but I'm a human on the inside. And so I love meditation for that. And I think that's something I will go back to the mirror question and say, I've been practicing. I've been practicing being able to unzip the suit and be like, I'm, I'm a human. And like, I embrace that. I can embrace that. Not, I'm not, I'm not perfect. I'm not going to feel perfect every day. And that's beautiful. And that's okay. And every day isn't going to be a good day, but I don't have to expect every day. I don't have to expect that from myself. You know, I don't have to expect perfection from myself. And that's, I think I've, I definitely feel like I've evolved a little bit. I think that going back to what I said before about, you know, not always wanting to look in the mirror. I spend a lot of time in the modeling industry. Like (laughs) I think a lot of people, because we are conditioned in so many ways, have similar feelings, but I also have come to a place where I'm like, look at what my body can do for me. Like, um, I have this generous heart. Like that's something I love about myself. And like, I get to share this with others and not like really hyper analyze every little flaw that everybody has flaws. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Earlier, uh, much earlier in our conversation, you spoke about a much younger you that when you started with meditation, you were like, how the hell am I supposed to do this? This is just crazy. I think uh, a lot of individuals listening to this podcast who are not young, maybe they are also in their mid thirties, forties, fifties, beyond, they feel that way now. So what do you say to them for anyone who wants to start a regular meditation practice? Because as we know, uh, it can have so many benefits benefits uh, in so many ways throughout our lives? I think, first of all, you have to find the right kind of practice for you. There's so many different lineages and paths of meditation. And I didn't, it took me a little bit of experimenting and I would imagine it would take anybody some experimenting. And so my advice would be to stay open, you know, work with different teachers, learn about the lineages because, you know, beyond just the meditation practice itself, most lineages come with like and ethics. Like there's like a background to it that matters because it's going to inform the practice. So I love um, insight meditation. It's, it's also called Vipassana. It's also commonly known as mindfulness. And I like it because it is a way in which we can engage with ourselves, with what we're feeling in our bodies, with what we're feeling um, like emotionally or what we're thinking. We can actually, instead of trying to like clear your mind, which to me felt really impossible growing up. Um, this is a way in which you can start by, by working with what's there, you know, and by starting to recognize that you don't have to believe your experiences or your thoughts. You don't have to let them control you, that you're an independent agent. Um, and you, you start to be able to take responsibility for your relationship with yourself and take responsibility for your relationship with the world. And then that turns into, okay, life is not happening to me. I'm an active participant in my life. And we start to be able to make these changes for me through this mindfulness practice. But, um, 
I guess that's my answer is like, find a practice that works for you. My experience of finding mindfulness has led me down this path, which I've really loved. And just like there can be so many different types of meditation, there's also so many types of yoga. And what's awesome is that everyone can, so to speak, take different things from their yoga practice. Absolutely. So, you know, for me, I teach asana, which is the physical practice of yoga. I also teach meditation, but yoga is so many different things. Like it's actually this huge philosophy and there are many different components that can, you can bring into your lifestyle in so many different ways. I personally feel like so many people's entryway is the physical practice. And it can obviously, it is a physical practice. Like it feels good. It affects your body, but there's an, there's different elements to it that you have to bring into your practice. Like at the end of the day, it's a practice and you're not just moving your body. Like it is a philosophy that you're threading through it, which I do think comes through in these asana, these physical classes, but you definitely don't have to even step onto your mat to practice yoga. You can practice yoga just by, you know, the way that you're living your life. But for the most part, for me, I spend obviously a lot of time teaching and practicing uh, both the, the physical practice and meditation practices. Although I have been getting really into philosophy, I have a whole like Instagram series about it. I love to hear that. It's interesting to me hearing you talk about this now, because I'm sure you didn't always think of yoga in this way. Like, especially when you first got into it, I, I'm sure, I mean, as many who first get into something like you don't know the whole history and backstory and all the things that go hand in hand with this practice. So when would you say, uh, you kind of really started to understand the different facets of the practice. I think it was helpful to have like a, a cultural context here. So even though as a kid, I didn't understand, you know, that yoga was a practice beyond the breathing and beyond the movement, I also knew that it wasn't exercise, if that makes sense. And I had my parents to sort of clue me into things about Actually, what's so funny is my parents have learned, they also teach yoga now. Um, Do they really? They in India and they, they like lead yoga classes for people their age. We need a Peloton collab. We do. Yes. What's, it's just interesting. I think that helped me. It helped me to know that like to not immediately enter with the idea, this context of like, I need to nail this pose or this is for my flexibility. Even though like my entry was at, for the most part, it was like movement and, and sort of this like exploration of what the philosophy or the mental, emotional, spiritual component was, it definitely started with me being like, I like this practice. It makes me feel good to breathe and move in this way. And then from there, once I found teachers that helped a lot, right? Like I was sort of doing it on my own and exploring. And once I found teachers to work with, I think that gave me like so much more context. It was like, here are some books you can read. Here's the way to think about this. Like having guidance is, is so important. What excites you right now? And this can be in any arena of your life. I mean, this is like a maybe like a basic answer, but I'm really excited that we're like not in quarantine. Things are opening up. I feel like I'm not I'm not like a super extroverted person, but it's just so nice to go out and see people out at restaurants and like just like being, being in the New York city that I love. It really is like filling my heart with joy. 
I love to hear that. I love to hear that. And I'm hoping that we get to keep it that way. <laughs> I know. I know. Me too. So often I get asked if I have like a favorite episode I've ever recorded of the show. And that is very hard to say because I'm 320 something episodes in. You are a zillion meditations and yoga classes in. But when you reflect on your time so far at Peloton, if you had to think about one or two moments that were just like really special for you that happened to happen on camera. Do you have anything to tell us so that maybe someone who's new to you from listening to Hurdle would know to go check it out? It's really hard to pick just one. Yep. The meditations that I taught during live from home were incredibly special. So obviously it was like during the pandemic, we started teaching some classes from home and they were just so special and such a reminder of how we are in this life together. So that that would be one. I'm in love with all of my artist series classes, but uh, I just thought a Spice Girls one, which was the most fun. But I really loved, um, I taught an Alicia Keys class that just really, I've never felt that like emotional in class in a good way, in a great way. But it was like really, it felt like, very connected. And um, that's like probably one of my top favorite classes. And the last one, and this is a sad one, but also very special for anybody that needs like, if you're feeling sad, this is a good one to take. Um, My dog died and it was during the pandemic and he was with my parents and I, you know, it was just like, it was not expected. And it kind of hurt that, you know, I couldn't be there. And I found out my dog died and then I had to teach. And I was like, so not in the right mindset. I was like, okay, I'm going to pull it together and teach, which was like, not really going to happen. So then I was just really honest with everyone. I was like, look, like I'm not feeling okay. This is the truth and what's happening. And then I talked about my dog for the whole class and it felt so wonderful to share that with, you know, our Peloton family. But I think it's like a, it's a nice one for, because you're not, no one is always happy and every class is not, you know what I mean? Like you don't have to, you might not be in the mood for like a, a cheerful class and that's okay. Yeah. It was a really special class for me. It was super personal. And so I would, I would put that up there with like, you know, if you need it, it's there for you. I will make sure to grab links of all of these and throw them in the show notes when this episode goes live. I meant to ask you this before when you had mentioned that your parents are still in India. Are they doing okay? Is everyone in your family doing all right with how COVID had kind of really gotten into that, to that region not so long ago now? Yeah. Thank you for asking. Um, it was really tough for me earlier this year. They're okay now. They're my parents are vaccinated and <laughs> they're just really isolated. So, I mean my my most of my family lives in India and like a lot of people have gotten covid. I'm very lucky that I haven't lost anyone. For me, of course, like my parents is is the big one and they are safe, so I'm just counting my blessings. Great. I'm glad to hear it. Right now, my friend, as we wind down, you have an opportunity to offer the Aditi who has just moved to New York with a half a suitcase and a prayer, a piece of advice going through what is arguably a very legitimate hurdle moment. You have an opportunity to offer her one piece of advice looking back on it now. What do you tell her? I would tell her to talk to herself the way that she would talk to a friend. Don't give up. Don't beat yourself up. Keep growing. Keep practicing. Resilience comes to those who endure. Stick with it. All the things that you would say or I would have said to a friend, I think 
say those things. I would, I would say those things to myself. And to be fair, to give myself credit, like I did stick with it, but that's, that's the advice for, for big transitions like that. Aditi, how do the hurdlers follow along with you? How do they keep up with you? Give me all of your details. I'm at DT22 on Instagram. So you can find me on there. And I do have a website. It's just adithishayoga.com. But I'm definitely like, I'm on Instagram a lot. So if you send me a message, I'll probably get back to you. Does the 22 have any special meaning? It was my number. It's my soccer number growing up. And then my track number. It was my it was my sports number. And then I was like, I guess this is the number now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll stick with it. <laughs> I'm over at Hurdle Podcast and over at Emily Abadi. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time.